precious Heavenly Father, we pray this morning for Your grace to bring Your truth to our memory. God, I pray that You would help our memory, that the truths of Your Word would be ready to us whenever we have occasion to use them, whenever we need them, which is more likely than not, constantly. God, I pray that Your Spirit would teach us all things and bring to our remembrance all that You have said to us and taught us in Your Word, that the Word of Christ would dwell richly in us and in all wisdom and in spiritual understanding. Lord, I pray, make us ready, make us competent in the Scriptures that we would be equipped for every good work. In Jesus' matchless name we pray. Amen. Go with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Would you? 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy and chapter 4. And so far in these closing verses of chapter 4, we've noted that to finish the Christian life well means to uphold, to proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, to endure suffering for the sake of the gospel. And we noted last week a third element of finishing well, that of an eternal perspective. An eternal perspective knowing that the crown of righteousness, eternal righteousness, awaits you as a follower of Christ only because of the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ for your sins. This morning we start with verse 9 in chapter 4, and I'm just going to introduce Paul's closing remarks here that that go all the way to the end of the letter this morning for the, for the purpose of directing your attention to one statement in particular, and then we're going to come back to this section of verses and finish the chapter, Lord willing, next week. But there's a remarkable statement here that I want to dwell on a bit this morning that I think will challenge you and it challenges me. Let's begin with verse 9 and read through verse 13. I hope you have your copy of God's Word with you. Look at yours as I read from mine. Do your best. Paul writes to Timothy, do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books and above all the parchments. I want to stop on that last statement this morning because in it I think it is a convicting reminder for us. If if you're a follower of Christ, that last statement ought to be a, a reminder to you of something very important. Paul says here in verse 13 that he wanted Timothy to bring with him, yes, the cloak, but not just the cloak, the books and above all the parchments. The books he asks for, some think, are likely scrolls made of papyrus, which may have been copies of his own correspondence and even writing materials. Papyrus was um, a writing material made from a plant. It was made from the stem of a plant. It was taken and cut into sections and then peeled back, and those strips, uh, narrow strips of, of papyrus were were woven together, so to speak, kind of laid on top of each other and used with uh, 
some kind of a substance to make it adhere, and it was a really rough writing surface. Sometimes they would take the papyrus and polish it to make it smoother to write on. The likelihood is, is those those uh, books were made of papyrus and, and were even correspondence that he had received and, and maybe even blank uh, papyrus that he might be able to write on. The scrolls made of the, that papyrus were very common then and, and uh, may have contained those copies of his correspondence. The parchments most likely were books of some kind and, and it's very likely, many think, um, very likely that he had copies of some of the books of the Old Testament. So he says, when you come, bring the cloak that I left it with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. And again, many thinking that the parchments likely copies, some, some copies of, of books of the Old Testament, what he had available to him. Now some have asked, why, why wouldn't he have already had these with him if it was so important that Timothy bring them to him? It was no small thing that Timothy be traveling to bring these things to him and to visit him. And of course, when you think about Timothy coming, it wasn't just to bring things. Um, sometimes a face-to-face meeting is much more valuable than a piece of uh, paper with your words on it, right? Would you agree with that? A face-to-face is going to be much more valuable for Paul, for Timothy especially. And so Timothy, on his way, he says, bring these things on your way. It wasn't just to bring those things, but some would say, well, why, if it was so important that he go to the trouble of bringing these things, why didn't he take them with him? Why didn't he have them with him already? Well, some think, think that uh, Paul was arrested at Troas and, and was quickly hauled off and taken away, making it impossible for him to gather his personal belongings, such as the cloak and and his books. And so here's Paul in prison, and he's awaiting execution. The end of his life is near, and he knows it. It's, it's coming, and, and he writes and he asks for his cloak. Of course, um, we might not understand that, but obtaining clothing in Paul's day was was far different for them than it is for us. It wasn't like he could grab his cell phone and say, hey, I forgot my coat. Stop at Walmart and buy me one on the way, would you? He couldn't do that. And, and those cloaks were hard to come by and were very valuable. And of course, winter was coming and he was in prison and he needed his cloak. But he also says, and yes, winter's coming and you need your cloak, but he also says, bring the books and especially, especially the parchments. And what I'm challenged by here and I want to challenge you with today is this. Paul is very near the end of his life. And he knows that his days are numbered. And yet, it is amazing to me that he still wants to learn. He still wants to grow. He's still learning. He's still growing. He's still studying. He's still searching the Scriptures to know them, to know God. He's continuing to learn. He's continuing to exercise his mind toward godliness. But why? Why, why, Paul, why, why give yourself to that? Why give your mental energy to that? Why not to, I don't know, feeling sorry for yourself, for one? What's so special about God's Word, the Bible? Sometimes the Bible, if not always, the Bible is its best, its own best commentary. And I want you to go with me for a moment, to look at a passage that helps us understand why the Bible is so special. Would you go with me to Psalm 19? Psalm 19 and verse 7. What's so special, Paul, about getting 
copies of God's Word, if that's what those are, and it's very likely it is, what's so, what's so special about that, Paul, that you would ask for those kinds of things? And why would you be stretching your mind and shaping your mind with the things of the Lord even at the end of your life? Why is it so important? And what's so special about God's Word, the Bible? And And by implication, I want you to understand why it's so important that you and I study God's Word and we never stop until God calls us home as long as we're able to study God's Word and Boy, we have our excuses for not being able, but I'm going to challenge those this morning. Let's go to Psalm 19 and look at verse 7 and following for a moment. Here's why Paul still wants to learn God's truth. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. You suppose Paul's soul might need reviving? I think so. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from your hidden fault, from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Powerful reminder here about how precious God's word is, isn't it? And sometimes we don't treasure God's word for the power and the wisdom and the knowledge of God that it holds for us. I don't think sometimes we can fathom and understand a verse like verse 10, which I just read, more to be desired are they than gold? They tell me the value of gold is increasing today. More to be desired than gold? Really? The Bible? It's just a book. No, it's not just a book. It's God's inspired Word. And yes, it's more valuable than gold. It's more valuable than anything you can lay your hands on the side of heaven. I have enjoyed what Maynard Belt wrote about this passage. Uh, Maynard Belt, many of you know, is a longtime state representative of the, of the Michigan Association of Regular Baptist Churches, is no longer the state rep, but is now an associate pastor at West Canaan Baptist Church, one of our sister churches. And he writes about this passage. He says this about the passage here in verses 7 through 9. He says there are six distinguishable titles and attributes. They're pretty obvious given in the scriptures. And in verses 10 through 13, there are five reasons why the Bible should be our most precious possession. He writes uh, uh, verse, uh, verse 7 in chapter 19 here that we just read, the law of the Lord is perfect. There's not anything in this world that's perfect. You're not perfect, right? I'm not perfect. You don't need to remind me of that. I don't need to remind you of that, right? The law of the Lord, though, is perfect. He says the testimony of the Lord is sure. Not too much that you can be sure about, but you can be sure about God's Word. The statutes of the Lord are right. You're not always right. You know what? I'm not always right. I'm far from always right. But the, but the God's Word is always right. The statutes of the Lord are right. The commandment of the Lord is pure. There's not much in this world in which we live in that's pure, but God's Word is pure. God's commands are pure. The fear of the Lord endures forever. 
tell you what, you fear God, you honor God, you give God your reverence and respect, and, and that will mean health for you and strength for you. I'm not talking about a health and wealth gospel here, but I'm talking about God will honor you when you fear Him. And God will strengthen you even in the midst of hardship and brokenness and difficulty. The fear of the Lord endures forever. The fear of the Lord will help you and strengthen you in times of difficulty. The judgments of the Lord are true. Sometimes we complain about judgments that are made on planet Earth, right? But judgment from the Lord is always true, always right. He never makes a mistake in His judgments. And this is His Word that He has given to us. Maynard Belt makes the point, here are the reasons the Bible is the believer's precious possession. It is our prized possession, says verse 10. It is sweeter than sweet, says verse 10. It is a supportive safeguard in verse 11. It is a moral motivator in verse 11. It is a patient purifier in verses 12 and 13. And this is why Paul wasn't done learning. Because he knew God's Word was necessary. It was precious. It was a prized possession, sweeter than sweet, a supportive safeguard and a moral motivator and a patient purifier. Not Paul's words. But that was his attitude toward God's Word. That's why Paul wasn't done learning, wasn't done growing, wasn't done challenging himself to be stretched and shaped by God's Word. He knows, just as he wrote to Timothy back in chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Remember those verses? I hope you've hidden these these words in your heart. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. The man of God might be competent, equipped for every good work. That's God's Word. Equipping you, equipping me for everything that God has for us to do for His glory. When Spurgeon preached on this passage, he said this, Paul is inspired by God. Think about it. Paul is inspired by God, and yet he wants the books. He has been preaching at least for 30 years, and yet he wants books. He had seen the Lord, and yet he wants books. He had had a wider experience than most men, and yet he wants books. He had been caught up into the third heaven, and he had heard things which it was unlawful for a man to utter, yet he wants books. He had written the major part of the New Testament, and yet he wants books. Spurgeon says, the apostle says to Timothy, and so he says to every preacher, give yourself unto reading. The man who never reads will never be read. He who never quotes will never be quoted. He who will not use the thoughts of other men's brains proves that he has no brains of his own. Ouch. Brothers and sisters, what is true of ministers is true of all of our people. You need to read. Renounce as much as you will all light literature, but study as much as possible sound theological works, especially the Puritan writers and expositions of the Bible. We are quite persuaded that the very best way for you to be spending your leisure is to be either reading or praying, you may get much instruction from books which afterward you may use as a true weapon in your Lord and Master's service. Paul cries, bring the books, join in the cry, says Spurgeon. I would challenge you this morning that if you want to finish well your life lived for Christ, I hope you do. That's my prayer, that you desire to finish well your life lived for Christ. And I would challenge you that if you want to finish well your life live for Christ, and you want to live for God's glory on earth, I trust that you will take up this challenge. And let me challenge you this morning. 
you should never stop reading. You should never stop reading God's Word. You should never stop pursuing an understanding of God's Word. You should never stop pursuing more knowledge about God. I pray that's your desire. And I would challenge you that the person who finishes well in their walk with Christ never stops reading for the purpose of shaping their mind with the truths of God's Word. I am convinced that Christians who grow are Christians who read for the purpose of equipping themselves with the truths of God's Word. I'm not just talking about reading for the fun of it, although reading can be very fun. I'm not talking about reading lightweight literature or even spending all of our time reading things of a fictional nature. You need to read some things that will shape you theologically. You need to read things that will point you back to God's Word. You need to read God's Word itself. And you might be sitting there thinking, well, how does one commit themselves to personal growth for the sake of the gospel? How do I give myself to growing and becoming more and more godly and Christ-like and, and heavenly-minded in my thinking for the sake of the gospel and for being well-equipped in my walk with Christ? How do I do that? Pastor Stephen Cole writes with this instruction, noting three challenges. I want to share you his three challenges this morning. He says, take care to develop your mind. Take care to develop your mind. He says, God saw fit to put His revelation in writing, which implies that we need to use our minds to read and think. First and foremost, we should read and study the Bible, but also we should read good books that help us grow intellectually and spiritually. I fear that many modern Christians, he says, referring to Paul's imprisonment, sitting in a dungeon awaiting death would say, bring me my TV set and the videos. Good books, he says, bring us the best thoughts of the godly men of past centuries. As long as you're able, take care to develop your mind through reading. He says, number two, take care to develop your soul. Develop your mind, he says, take, take care to develop your soul as well. Reading books, and especially reading the Bible, should help us come to know God better. In other words, reading should not only help us become better Christian thinkers, but also to go deeper in our personal relationship with Christ. With Paul, we should press on to know Christ more and more. And I would echo his statement here that you don't just read for the sake of knowledge, you read for the sake of understanding God and becoming more and more Christ-like and obedient to, to the Lord. Thirdly, he says, take care to develop your character. Take care to develop your character. Reading the Bible and good Christian books should help us become more Christ-like, more loving, and more humble. If we are filled with pride over how much we know, we have missed the point. In fact, the more you study the Bible and read the lives of the great saints from the past, the more you realize how little you know God and how much you need to grow. Even though you are an aged saint like Paul, there is still room to grow in godly character. Reading is a major avenue for growth. I think he's so right. I would ask you this morning, do you want to be most useful for the kingdom of God as long as the Lord tarries, as long as the Lord gives you breath? Do you want to be most useful for the kingdom of God? I hope you do. And you need to make knowing God's Word and developing your mind and thinking with, with His truth a priority. You need to make developing your mind toward Christ-likeness and the thinking of God's Word a priority in your life. But you say, how do I do that? How do I begin? I how do I get started? Do I just go home and start reading the, the Bible from the page one and reading to the end and just keep reading the Bible? Well, that's not a bad start. 
read God's Word, how best can I learn for God's glory, you might ask? I recently read an article by Jim Elif in which he argues that growing Christians are learning Christians. And in it, he gives five useful rules in the learning process to be applied to all of your reading and learning. And, and in reading these recently, it has challenged my thinking about the things that I read. And I want to share them with you so that you too will be challenged about your thinking about the things that you read and think deeply about being careful about how you choose things to read. Jim Elif writes, let me just summarize what he says. First, he says, learn for the exaltation of God. What's your purpose in learning? I hope it's for the exaltation of God, as Jim Elif writes. In other words, he says, do not learn to make a show of great knowledge, but for more noble reasons. Learn in order to boast in the God who, made, who, who has made magnificent items and ideas to be explored. There are wonderful things in this universe that we can give our minds to thinking about and exploring to know more fully. What is your purpose for knowing them? Is it so that you can glorify God in the knowing of them? Jim Elif uh, challenges in that thought. Learn for the exaltation of God. He says, secondly, learn Christianly. Learn Christianly. He says, we must acknowledge God in all things sensed and reflected upon. Grind that new thought through the teeth of Scripture. Let the enzymes of sound doctrine dissolve and digest it. This places the Bible first in our learning. Learn to think Christianly. Learn Christianly. Third, he says, value the standard old works over the new. He says, now, I write this as an author so I could never bring myself to say we should avoid all new works. But something destructive has happened in our day. Today, an author writes on subjects he knows nothing of. He finds a subject people wish to hear about, gathers a bit of material, mixes in a catchy outline and a striking title, and he has a bestseller. Not all old books are worth your time, but at least most older authors wrote having sense, uh, some sense of their subject being a driving passion. He says, you will, you will read so few books in your lifetime, you cannot afford to waste your time on contentless froth. And then he quotes C.S. Lewis when C.S. Lewis said, it is a good rule after reading a new book not to allow yourself another new till you have read an old one in between. Good rule. Good guideline. Fourth, he says, despise an idle mind. You want to know how to saturate your mind with the thinking of God's Word? You find good reading material and you keep it with you. He says, Paul said, to be careful then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Jim Elif writes, An hour wasted is never to be retrieved. Play hard when needed, but do not learn to enjoy mental emptiness. The idle brain feels a great deal of pain in thinking at first. <laughs> the idle brain, he says, feels a great deal of pain in thinking at first. And I would challenge you. I hear people say, I don't like to read. I don't like to you know, study things and... Boy, I would challenge you to to learn to read, to learn to search for truth and know God more because the more you do so, the easier it will get, the more enjoyable you'll find it. Just as Jim Elif writes, the idle brain feels a great deal of pain in thinking at first. You might find it difficult, but it'll get easier. But 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 has all the potential to make progress if it is exercised. Exercise your mind. Think deeply about the things of the Lord, the things of God's Word. Take a book with you, he says, when you... 
may have to spend time waiting, ask questions that lead to more significant discussions while eating dinner, pose a problem to solve when you're driving to work, or chew on a passage of Scripture while bathing. I like that. He says, like the early church, Father Chrysostom, by the way. And I, and I will tell you, my own experience has been the, the most clear thinking I have is when I'm completely undistracted in the shower or when I first wake up in the morning and I'm just trying to roll out onto the floor. And I'm thinking, oh, you know, I was just thinking about this that I'm studying. And I, and I begin to have thoughts about the things that I was studying before I get distracted by anything else. And I think Jim Ellis' challenge is helpful. He says, it is, it is commonly known that a blind person has an improved use of his other senses, tending to help overcome the disability. Why? Because of use alone. His nose, is, his nose is no better than yours, nor his ears, but he has used them more carefully, paying attention, focusing the mental powers. This illustrates what concentration can do for a person. The practice of scriptural meditation is a great help in developing that concentration. Take a book with you when you go to the doctor's office. Take a book with you. Keep one with you while you're waiting in line, whatever. Open it up. Let God challenge you from the truths that you're learning. Finally, he writes, do not let the gaining of knowledge of any kind, not even biblical knowledge, usurp the principal aim of knowing God. Here is a subtle trap. I cannot make too much of this. I have fallen into this snare many times myself. Knowledge proper can be a substitute for intimacy. He says, if one could love without knowledge and love were pitted against knowledge, then never learn another thing for the sake of your love for God. Adam and Eve, you remember, were the first to desire knowledge over intimacy with God. Rather, let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, or the strong man boast of his strength, or the rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Let me ask you this morning, do you love the Lord's Word? Do you love God's Word? Ask yourself. Look at look at your days and how you spend your your free moments, your leisure. Think about the things that you give your mind to. What kinds of things do you most gravitate to when you read? Do you suppose you might be able to train yourself to pursue some things that might be more helpful and theologically sound and, and direct your, your your heart and mind toward God's Word? Do you love God's Word? Are you serious about reading this precious book that God has given us for the purpose of knowing Him more? Are you, are you serious about knowing God's Word and knowing Him more fully? Are you serious about reading that will sharpen your mind to know God more fully? I'm not against reading things for the, for the pleasure of it, reading fictional things. I do that myself sometimes, and I find that when I get to the end of my day, I can't really think very deeply about anything, and that's when I read some things that are more enjoyable, like fiction and things, and I find that it often helps me read more of the other things, too, and drives me to be more faithful in my reading. But do you give yourself to thinking deeply about the things of God's Word? Are you discerning about the books that you read that, that they might direct you toward God's Word and understanding God more fully? Well, I think that we've fallen in this area in many ways. God's people in many ways have, have given up their love for reading and a love for God's Word for things that are so much more easy, so much more, we think, enjoyable. We 
entertain ourselves so easily these days, don't we? John MacArthur tells the story of a little blind girl who loved God's Word and her, and her example embarrasses me. When I, when I heard this and I read it again, her example is an embarrassment to me for my little love of the Scriptures. He shared the story. A missionary in France told of a little French girl who became a believer. Although she had been blind from birth, she knew how to read Braille. Someone gave her the Gospel of Mark in Braille. And she loved it so much that she eventually developed calluses on her fingers from reading it so often. Those calluses meant she no longer could read. She couldn't feel the Braille. Hoping to make her fingers more sensitive, she got a knife and peeled the skin from the ends of her fingers. But instead, her fingers became permanently scarred. She couldn't feel the Braille. Believing she would never read again, she bent over, bent down to give the pages of God's Word a farewell kiss. And as she did, she soon realized her lips were more sensitive than her fingers. And so she learned how to read God's Word with her lips. How challenging to us who have eyes to see, yes? Oh, believer, oh, that we would have a desire to have a love like that for the Word of God. Oh, that we would realize that we never, and I mean never, outgrow our need for God's Word. We never outgrow our need for the Bible. That we would realize that we may retire from a career, but we never retire from our need to be shaped and equipped by the Word of God. You might come home from work at the end of the day and say, I need to rest and relax and unwind. But while you're resting and relaxing and unwinding, God could be using a book in your hands to feed your soul and direct you to the truths of His Word. Just as Paul demonstrated with his life, at the end of his life, here he is imprisoned in captivity. He knows it won't be long and he will likely face the executioner's sword. And I don't know that I would have had the same attitude that Paul had. I... I Hope that I would. But his desire was that he keep knowing more and more about God, to keep learning and stretching his mind and equipping himself for faithful ministry to use every day that God had given him. And if you will never stop learning and if you will never stop reading and never stop growing in your knowledge of God's Word, then I, I believe you will be well equipped to finish well. Your life lived for Christ. Pursue God's truth. Love God's Word. Saturate your mind with the truth of God's Word. Anything you read, measure it against what God's Word says. Let God give you a a love for His Word. Maybe you are hearing me speak this morning and you're thinking, "I I just don't care to read the Bible like I probably should. I realize I probably should want to read the Bible more and more. Then you better pray and ask God to help you fall in love with His Word. And fall in love with knowing Him more. That you might honor Him with your life and know Him more fully. It is a precious gift that God has given us in His Word and in the brains that He has given us to think and to reason. That He would give us thoughts that we might not ever think of ourselves if we don't saturate our minds with His truth. What a precious gift He has given us in His Word. Pray that God will give you a love for His truth. 
and a love for Him, knowing Him more and more. And then that He will make you obedient and more Christ-like and more humble in the way that you live for His glory. Let's pray. Our precious Heavenly Father, as we come before You this morning, reminded once again of these powerful truths and scriptures and the powerful truths from other godly people that You have gifted to write and challenge us in our thinking, God, I pray, help us to be a people who, if we aren't now in love with Your Word and understanding it more fully and being more obedient to You and knowing You more, for Your honor and glory, God, I pray, give us a hunger and thirst for Your Word. Father, I pray that that as we choose the things that we would read, that we would be discerning, that we would read things that would help shape our thinking in a way that is Christ-honoring, and those things that we read that are secular, that they might challenge our thinking, and we would be careful to measure those things that we read with Your Word. God, I pray, help us to feed our souls with the wholesome truths of Your Word and to pursue an understanding of Your Word that that helps us see You more clearly and drives us to, to obey You more faithfully. And God, I pray for Your church today and I pray that Your your people would see the need to feed their souls and their minds and that they would be challenged by Paul's example. And that He gave Himself the study of Your Word and the understanding of the, of the Word and the application of understanding how, how You intend to work through Him right to the end. God, help us to finish well. Help us to finish well in our walk with You. Help us to pursue Your truth and to never stop pursuing Your truth until You call us home or You return. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.